We both knew, my father and I, that we were headed to Acapulco, but it would be a short stay. In our hearts, we knew we were headed back to Puerto Vallarta to our apartment, Playa de los Muertos. So our time was brief after our horrific experience that ended our lives and our time in Cihuatanejo. My father and I spoke many times to try and determine what had happened, who had done it to us, and why. And we never really did find a satisfactory answer and let it go. We never really spoke about it much after that. It wasn't until some 40 years later, I was in my late 50s, when I finally connected the dots. I was driving from San Diego to the tip of Baja with my dear friend John when I finally put the pieces together. We were headed back to Zacatitos, where John has a lovely house there. And it felt really good to be trapped, so to speak, inside a vehicle for two full days with John. Because we could really talk, we could really speak. Not that Facebook bullshit and tweet. And John, the more questions he asked me about my times living in Mexico, the more the, the memories jarred loose. And I've always had this kind of cinegraphic uh, memory since the age of two. In other words, I remember scenes in their entirety, just like a movie. So the setting, the dialogue, every little detail. Now, I can't always call up these scenes on demand, but when they come to me, it's with amazing clarity. And uh, that's what happened. Scene after scene became dislodged, driving the length of the Baja Peninsula with John. Almost 2,000 miles to go before we would reach our destination in Zacatitos, a little place just outside of Cabo. And with each pothole, we bounced a bit. And yet another scene would surface for me to examine. And then John would ask me more questions. So there were so many potholes that we would hit on that trip. So many, in fact, that in time I had hundreds of scenes through which to scroll. And I eventually found the most important ones, the scenes of special import. And each of those scenes was intact. I'd recalled when my father had dismissed my accusations in our many discussions as to who who done it. And in light of that orphaned aqua slip-on boat shoe that that matched the one that I I saw Elizabeth's uh, young boyfriend wearing. And then seeing him again on the path, which was so odd to see him there early that morning on our path. Even in light of the incident at the pool hall, my old man was like, come on, not him. No way, Roger, we hunted with him. He's been over to our house. No way, impossible. These Seven distinct scenes tell the story. For years, I desperately sought to connect the dots. These few scenes explain once and for all what really happened to us and why. 
I had finally found the answer. I had discovered the real evil behind what ended it for good for my father nine Siwatanejo. I'm sure that they assumed I would never figure it out. <laughs> I was just a kid. And I had forgotten about the impromptu visit by Elizabeth's younger boyfriend, about his getting on the bus downtown late that traumatic night. They were wrong. It took me a hell of a long time, but I did figure it out. The first scene of import. I remember I was having lunch at Elizabeth's house when I'd, uh, it's something I'd been doing quite a bit lately. And her house was upstairs above her curios shop on the main beach in town. And I had just returned with a kilo of warm tortillas secured in a blue plastic mesh bag fitted with sturdy plastic handles. There were eight of us kids crammed around the table. Steam rose up off the, the bowls of homemade chicken and rice soup. The tortillas were transferred into a small wicker basket lined with old cloth napkins. The old whisker baskets were filled with tortillas and they were passed from one child to the next. Each child would, would be careful to wrap them up real snugly with the napkin before passing the basket off. And I would place that warm, almost gooey corn disc on my left palm. And using my right hand, I would roll it up tight, super fast. And then the dip followed. I let it linger in the bowl. I let it soak up the spicy broth. And eventually I would bite the uh, wet end off and repeat. When no broth was left, I'd use my spoon to finish off the rest. All the kids did the same. Elizabeth was pouring more soup into our bowls when her young boyfriend appeared. He was taken aback at seeing me there again. He asked, why, 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 was, why was she feeding me again? Didn't she know that my father was rich? She just shrugged, so what? Roger still has to eat. She went on, I talked, uh, she went on explaining that she had talked to my father the other day and that he wishes to keep the boy, despite the fact he has no mother. She, she exclaimed, what am I to do? I love Roger. I said inside, yeah, you big Budinsky, butt out. Elizabeth loves me, so there. He walked over to her, shaking his head as, as if she were some sort of fool. Then he smiled proudly, sticking his foot up on the table and explained, look at my new shoes. They came all the way from Los Estados Unidos. All the kids were in awe of the new shoes. They were slip-on boat shoes, aqua blue. Elizabeth scolded him and demanded he get his foot off her table, and he left in a huff, his temper not well hidden in the least. He was not permitted to enter through the front door like the rest of us. Instead, he went out the back, slamming the door loudly. The second scene of import was when my father and I met Elizabeth's younger boyfriend at his house in the outlying village down the main road to Acapulco, some 45 minutes outside of Siwatanejo proper. He stepped out of his small house and greeted us warmly. His young wife looked tattered and sheepish. Despite her shabby appearance, she did her best to be gracious. The wild boar and Mexican pheasant, Chuchalaca, a hunting expedition, would start immediately once we left his front door. 
The burros were already half loaded, so we returned to the truck for our gear, which was then placed and tied securely. I carried my 22 rifle. My father had his 12 gauge uh, shotgun. My dad was a good shot. These Mexican pheasants, they didn't stand a chance. We walked along trails higher and deeper into the lush mountains, black leopards, deadly snakes were feared. A sharp eye was kept by all. It was hard work climbing up higher and higher into the lush tropical mountains. We stopped in a clearing to rest and eat. And we all shared what we had brought. I did the La Matad uh, ritual. I taught it to my father now, he knew too. Suddenly two men appeared out of nowhere. Greetings were exchanged. They knew Elizabeth's younger boyfriend well. It was then that I noticed that all the guns and the machetes that they each carried. They sat with us and they smoked hand-rolled cigarettes. My dad puffed on his pipe for a while. As usual, I was doing all the translating. Mostly hunting stories were told. My dad spoke of the many deer that he had killed with his high-powered bow and arrow. Everyone's interest was keen as my father explained how much harder it is to hunt this way as opposed to, say, with a deer rifle. Elizabeth's younger boyfriend asked many technical questions regarding how to use the bow properly. My dad offered to show it to him one day. The strangers left. I didn't like them. We hunted the rest of the afternoon. Twice we encountered more strangers. It seemed odd to me that so many hunters would be up here hunting in this remote area. The first group of, of three stopped to chat with us. They all seemed to know uh, Elizabeth's younger boyfriend well. Again, I noticed all the guns and the machetes each of them carried. They continued down the trail. We had a couple shots at Mexican pheasant, but none were clean. Then four strangers appeared out of nowhere. They all seemed to know Elizabeth's brother, uh, younger boyfriend well. And I noticed all the guns and the machetes that they carried. And they too continued down the hill. We began our own descent as we would lose our light here in an hour or two. We again uh, greeted his wife. She had two small children wrapped around her legs. We thanked Elizabeth's uh, younger boyfriend for the hunting trip and headed back into town. My dad had a great time. He wasn't disappointed in the least about not bagging a Mexican pheasant. He admitted it was harder in the jungle than in a cornfield. Heck, he'd shot hundreds of pheasants in, in the States over the years. He vowed next time we'd get a wild boar. Now that would really be something, he said. I played along, but I didn't like killing animals one bit. Birds and fish to eat, yes, but not animals. I asked if he thought those men that we had met on the trail earlier were weird, you know? He just shrugged it off, saying, oh, that's Mexico for you. But I wasn't so sure. The third scene of import was when we were having breakfast. We had cinnamon tea and rice and beans and tortillas heated on a one-burner uh, propane stove. It took hours, but... Then we finally packed up our things and the band leader popped the hood of the pickup truck and one of the guys tried to turn the engine over. And my heart sank. Nothing was dead. Now all the men in the village began to mill about discussing what the problem might be. It was then that I noticed all the guns and the machetes that each of them carried. I chimed in with my two cents just to be safe, but I was exhausted. There were three guys that had been talking about me for more than an hour and I sensed I was in real danger. The fourth scene of import was when Elizabeth's younger boyfriend appeared on our steps unexpectedly one afternoon. I was asleep in my hammock. He seemed surprised to see me. 
I explained that my father was not uh, here and that he had uh, gone into town. Elizabeth's younger boyfriend acted like he was genuinely surprised at that bit of news. I wasn't buying it. It seemed a bit strange. He didn't wait at the bottom of the hill. As normal, he would shout up his greeting and it was customary that he would wait and be called up before even putting one foot on the first of our many steps leading up to the house. With the recent hunting trip fresh in our minds, I was forced to show respect and invite him in, even though it seemed to me that he'd already done so of his own accord. He seemed nervous. He liked our house and he commented on the spectacular ocean view. He must have known at that point that we'd seen him with Elizabeth kissing and holding hands down there in our private cove many, many times. He asked to see the house, so I showed him around, but not satisfied, he wanted to see the inside too. He was very complimentary about everything. I showed him my father's room, but still he was not satisfied. He paid great attention to the things hanging on our walls, and reluctantly, I showed him the kitchen, and then he walked into the bathroom, which took me by surprise. He looked around and made small talk some more. I thought for sure he'd just have to see my bedroom too, but to my surprise, he said he had to get back to town. He thanked me for the tour and spoke of uh, us going hunting again and left. I immediately returned to my hammock and fell right back to sleep. Scene 5 of Import. I sat outside of the doctor's office on a bench in the dark. It must have been after 2 a.m. in the morning. The doctor was administering medications to my father while he sat up, and I watched a rat on a leg of a dead dog in the street poisoned meat stuck to the side of the dog's mouth. I was beat. That's when I saw the bus way down at the end of the street, down by the plaza. The big bus was lit and empty except for the driver. Two guys boarded, and it struck me odd, the one with no shoes. Who knew buses ran this late anyway? I mused. And I recognized him now, for sure. Elizabeth's younger boyfriend likely caught my glare, even at the distance in the dark. Those two never got off the bus, and the bus roared by me, but nobody was in the seats. It was as if the bus was bare, <laughs> but I knew better. I just didn't care anymore. I was done with Siwadaneho. Sixth scene of import was when I went uh, to the place in search of our maid's brother, and I peeked in the window and saw him sitting there near the far window. I recognized him immediately from the bus late last night. Man number two. <laughs> this would not do, and I left undetected. The seventh scene of import was the guy, Elizabeth's younger boyfriend, was in the pool hall that day, and I was making friends by taking dares to repeat stuff they told me to say. It was always good for a laugh at the movies. Of course, it was dark in there and they didn't know exactly who had said it anyway. I, I didn't know what Mayate meant. Not that it mattered. I was just horsing around being one of the guys. But clearly, he was insulted. He was embarrassed in front of everybody because the laughter continued well after he left. The eighth scene of import. I remember I dropped uh, my rifle up on the hill above the house and I went to retrieve it. My 22 in hand, I made my way back home again. It was odd how short the path to the brother's place seemed now. And I stopped and I watched the morning light peek over the mountains and that was when I saw him, plain as day, right there, 
just scoring over the path, just searching. He couldn't see me for, I was above the house, much higher up on the hill. Still, I ducked behind a tree and I watched intently to see what I might see. My rifle was loaded, but I'd have to get a lot closer to shoot him accurately. He was still a few hundred yards from the house, well below me. But what was he doing there? Head down, walking so slowly, barefoot, which I thought was strange. I even thought maybe he's hurt. I looked, I looked at him closely and, and he, he was looking at the, at, at the bushes alongside the path. He was, he was just so intensely focused on the bushes. He never once looked up. Now he was getting too close to the house for my comfort. I was on the move. He heard my feet, caught a glimpse of me and my rifle through the trees and he turned around quickly and headed back towards town. His pockets were empty. The orphan to the one that I had in my room must have been hidden somewhere between him and town. He never looked back. I could have easily winged him from our balcony if I'd wanted to. And the eighth scene is really one of the scariest moments in my life. If my father had not bounced back off the mattress the way he did and sat upright, unconscious, thanks in part to the sheer force of the blow delivered to his head by Elizabeth's uh, younger boyfriend, he would be dead. And I would have become Elizabeth's eight adopted child. I wonder what really happened to the other parents of her seven adopted children. And I wonder who took my place next to her bosom once she realized that I was gone for good. I'd watched her from our balcony down at our private cove. I watched her manipulate her young boyfriend for hours at end. I saw how she talked to my father and to me. She could masterfully manipulate her younger boyfriend or anyone for that matter. She kept their relationship a secret, not because of their difference in age, but rather because Elizabeth would have to cover her tracks one day, just as she had done so many times in the past. I'd been set up in the pool hall by our maid's brother telling me to, to say to Elizabeth's younger brother, uh, younger boyfriend, that he was a mayate. I later learned that that meant he was a male prostitute, a Mexican male prostitute. And obviously, uh, this was a, a, a huge insult instead of being Elizabeth's uh, boyfriend, right? He's a mayate. Now the same uh, uh, brother that so graciously made the detailed map for my father so he would come find me in the Sika guerrilla camp so far up in the hills many, many hours away from Siwataneco. That same uh, brother, uh, our maid's brother, was shocked, no doubt, to see not one, but both of us returned from the guerrilla camp unharmed. Just as I was shocked to see him get on that last bus out of Siwatnejo, headed to Acapulco with the younger boyfriend of Elizabeth on that bloody, bloody night in Siwatanejo. 
As it turned out, Elizabeth's younger boyfriend headed up the gorilla camp off the main road on the way to Acapulco, just 45 minutes outside of Cihuatanejo. You see, he had killed two birds with one stone that night. He would get the prized bow and arrow set that he had coveted, which he had previously verified was hanging on the wall in our bathroom. And then he'd kill my father, making it easy for Elizabeth to adopt me. That's why he didn't need to see my bedroom when he came to case the joint. He would not harm me that night. He did, however, need to know what room the bow and arrow was in. No one else would think to look in a bathroom for items to steal during her robbery. He had come from the bathroom to kill my father. My father unexpectedly awoke too soon. The murderer did not come from my bedroom. It would be easy then to have his revenge on me for embarrassing him publicly at the pool hall that day. He always knew I didn't like him and I resent and he resented it deeply. I already had strong indications that uh, Elizabeth's other children were subject to his wishes sexually and oftentimes endured his beatings. Her only natural son, Enrique, who she explicitly uh, told to become my first friend in Cihuatanejo, was spared from any harm from him. My father and I were in Acapulco when he brought back more of his men to finish the job he had started. But then he ran into heavy resistance. The police did nothing because they too feared the guerrillas of Guerrero. Perhaps some on the force were sympathizers. The police intimidated Luis because he had initiated and kept after them about doing something to apprehend the men who had tried to kill his friend, my father. Though Mexican, Luis was not from Cihuatanejo. I have no doubt that Elizabeth's young boyfriend and his band of terrorists had returned that very night when we had left Cihuatanejo for good. Likely he had doubled the size of his band of assassins and attacked again yet late at night under the cover of rain only to discover the house was empty and we were gone in an instant never to return. I wonder how different my life might have been if it were not for my father's unconventional move to Mexico. How different my life might have been if not for my father's miraculous rebound off his blood-soaked mattress. I loved my father. I just hope my father found a way to forgive me. I guess it's fair to say that was not exactly an easy child to raise. <laughs>